Owning an investment property can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. At Heritage Realty Property Management, they handle the challenges for you, ensure it's rented, maintained, and gets the highest return possible, while you just collect the check. With over 50 years experience, you can trust Heritage Realty to provide the property care you want and rental knowledge you need. Visit HeritageRealtyKnox.com to connect with the team more landlords trust. Heritage Realty. We treat your property as if it were our own. In youth sports said their child was not interested in playing sports, and that has actually risen from June 2020 to September 2021 to 28%. So 28% of kids who are currently playing youth sports don't want to play youth sports and have no interest in playing youth sports. So I guess I don't know if it's just they committed to it and they're still there or their friends are doing it so they still do it, but they don't want to, or the parent, they're doing it because the parents make them or something like that. That was always the thing I think with my family and my wife's family. It was always you play sports or you work. Those are the two things you do choose. It's on you. You know what I mean? If you want to, you, you don't want to play sports, well, go get a job. I mean, that's kind of what you had to do. But when we see the numbers dropping the way that they are, where again, 20% of the youth population has decided, nope, not going to play sports. 20% lower now than it was. So, I mean, really, you're looking at about, you know, a 40% drop at the total youth sports participation in just the last 13 years. Now, what they equated to there at the New York Times is they're saying, well, look at the, if you juxtapose that and you compare that with the rise of kids that have iPhones, play video games, esports, and things like that, that that's the biggest cause. I would disagree with that, Logan. I think the biggest cause for youth sports participation dropping is the fact that we don't have municipal sports for the most part anymore. You don't have a, you know, Rocky Hill has, you know, a West Knoxville Bearden Baseball League that plays at Rocky Hill Parks or something like that or plays at, you know, you have other ones that will play at Tarleton. You have other things that would play over in Fountain City and stuff like that out at Levi Field. And, and, and that's how you would do it. And then at the end of the year, the best for each parts of the city would get together and they run a playoff and let's see who the best team in the city is at each different age group. You don't have that anymore like they had when I was growing up. Now, if you want to go play, I mean, for gosh sakes, you want to go play baseball or soccer, you're looking at probably $500 plus per month, $700 a month. It's it's a good dang car payment that it costs for your kid to go play youth sports right now. And travel, too. Oh, absolutely. And hotels and I mean, things I like it, that. I did it every weekend during, during what, the summer. What did you play? I played baseball. Okay. So you played travel baseball? Yes. Every summer, every where, week, Where did you guys go? We went to nowhere like, I went to Georgia, uh... Carolinas, I think, uh, Florida, Nashville-ish. I mean, I mean, nowhere, nowhere across the country. People go a lot further than, than what I did, but I mean, still, I mean, it's it's expensive. Yeah, it's because you're paying for the hotel Especially rooms for everybody, now. the food. The, yeah, absolutely, the gas that it costs to get there. And if you got multiple kids, look at what you're looking at with that. I think that it comes down to two things, and they do bring this up. And the Aspen Sports Institute mentions this is one of the reasons for the drop off. One, the cost. The cost is nuts. Like the cost is absolutely nuts. I'll ju- I'll just say I know someone who was paying twelve hundred dollars a month for their their daughter to play soccer right now. It's their their daughter's currently a high school soccer player. They're paying twelve hundred dollars a month for their kid to play soccer, which is crazy. Now they're on a big club that's a big travel club that's what they call a showcase team, and she plays most of her games down in Florida, where these coaches come in because they can play year round, and they so they drive their kid to Tampa. Or fly their kid to Tampa for their kid to go play, but it's twelve hundred dollars a month. That's an awful. That's a solid mortgage. You know what I mean? You can get a real nice house for twelve hundred dollars a month. So there's that. Plus, like you said, the hotel room costs, the food costs, the travel costs, the gas costs, all those things. Plus, they have they have two kids. So no, they have three kids. Uh, but and one's a good bit younger. But what do you do with the, what the other one does? So it, which is just wild that people are willing to pay that. 
I, I'll just tell you, I've, I've been told before by people in the soccer world, the reason the U.S. sucks at soccer is because you got to be rich to play soccer right now. And just, you, which means you're one, not getting the best athlete pool that you have Two, they're soft. And so, you know, they, and they talk about when U.S. kids go play European kids that are coming straight up off the streets, they just get beat down because they're not used to dealing with that level of physicality. With baseball, I think it also plays into that. Year-round sports is the other thing that they point out and how seriously parents and coaches take it when they're between the ages of 6 and 12 years old. You don't want to play a 10-month season when you're 9 years old and you're only playing one sport and you're getting overuse injuries and things like that that happen at you know 11 years old and then you're getting screamed at by your parents or your coaches because your parents dropped $800 for you to go on the, for the family to go on the trip that you had to Georgia and your kids struck out three times in that game. Like, I just don't think kids want to do it anymore. Quite frankly, well, well, well or, that means it's not fun, right? Exactly. And while I was into that, parents, some of the parents are absolutely absurd with, with the way that they treat their kids. Are, heck, other parents, watching kids, your parents coaches, scream at the, at the I mean, nineteen-year-old who's umpiring a game—that's a little much. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also just 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 how you can go play video games with your friends. You know, five minutes down the stairs in your living room, it's it's a lot easier than having to go. You know, run and do stuff actively. Outside, I mean, I mean, I just don't think kids want to do it that much anymore. You you see a lot of like my my baby girls in in high school right now, and so I see that a lot of her friends, the people that were her age that grew up with her, a lot of them will go do something else, but also then play video games. They'll go to the gym far more than we ever went to the gym. That's what I did. Yeah, is it? So you yeah. just kind of quit playing sports, but you went to the gym regularly. No, no, no. So 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 it was always school practice, then after practice, you know, dinner, homework, but not really homework because I never did homework. And then video games. But even then, I wasn't playing for, you know, 10 hours at a time like like some kids are now. You know, some kids leave school who aren't playing youth sports, and they're sitting in front of their TV for, you know, eight, nine hours, and then going to bed, school the next day, and then repeating the whole or cycle on the over switch, again. Or and on that's the, all yeah. they do. Yeah. That's all they do. It's a, it's a little bit of both. I want to get your thoughts on this. Why in the world are we seeing the decline in youth sports the way that we're, we're seeing and is this going to come back? Because they do bring up the idea in the New York Times article that maybe some portion of this is the pandemic that's caused a lot of kids to not want to play youth sports anymore. Calvin's held patiently. We appreciate it. Calvin, welcome to the starting lineup. Hey, guys. Um, uh, first of all, let me interject a little humor into something you said uh, just a few minutes ago uh, when you were specifically talking about the 6- to 12-year-old age group. And then you said it was either play sports or get a job. Interesting that those six to twelve year olds have an option of getting a job. <laughs> well, I would say when, when uh, we were in, just, <laughs> yeah, when we were in high school, that was it was either the old man was either you're going to play football or you're going to go or you're going to go get a job. Choose, you know what I mean? I know, I've, I know, I've just twisted. Yeah, around you're what right. You said there a little bit. Uh, I would love to know uh, those same stats on the percentage of kids that played sports from 1975 to 1995. Yeah. Because, you know, 20 years ago, we all used to joke about political correctness is going to be the downfall of this country. And, boy, is it happening right before our eyes now. What? Uh, techno- technology is the same way. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't, you know, talking about needing to be rich, you needed to be rich to have an Atari. So, uh, hey. but I played I played sports year-round. I, I was going to ask you, did, did, did you play one sport or did you play? Because back in my day, they didn't have you. They didn't have. 10-month sports seasons for one league. I played football, basketball, baseball. All my friends played football, I, basketball, baseball, and that's what we did every single year. 
I, I played basketball, baseball, and sophomore year, I broke a I broke a foot and gave up baseball because I uh, wish I had it to do the other way around. I actually thought I could have possibly had a shot at something small time in baseball, but. Uh, and right now I've got a 15-year-old daughter, 12-year-old son. They've always played ball. My daughter now is playing travel volleyball, uh, and it is expensive. She is on one of these what we call a power elite team, uh, but she's also uh, part of this little program here that we got her signed up where this it's kind of like a marketing firm, I guess, that's going to uh, produce videos and game highlights and all that ever. So hopefully the little investment that I'm making now is going to pay for college here in three more years. Well, and college so. is so more expensive as well. I appreciate it. Thank you for the phone call, Calvin. Why do you think we're seeing a decline in youth sports? And do you think it comes back after COVID? We talk about it next. Starting lineup, 99.1, the sports animal. Here's Logan with your Tennessee Lottery sports update. Doubleheader in Monday Night Football last night. First game, the Raiders took down the Browns 16-14 to off a 48-yard field goal from Daniel Carlson as time expired. The Vikings took down the Bears 17-9. to Kirk Cousins threw for two touchdowns. Elsewhere in the league, Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin has torn his ACL and will miss the rest of the season. Lions quarterback Jared Goff has been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. New AP poll in men's college basketball. Tennessee fell down one spot to number 19 after only playing one game last week. Baylor remained at number one. Duke number two. Purdue stayed at number three. And then the number seven ranked Lady Vols last night took down ETSU 112-58. to Sarah Puckett led all scorers with 19 points. Have a little fun with Instant Games December. Instant Games are available now at any TN Lottery retailer with top prizes ranging from $5,000 up to $500,000. It's 716. Have a good morning. I'm Logan Ward. So there's an article in the New York Times yesterday that took information from Aspen Sports Institute and Institution of uh, uh, of Youth Sports, uh, Sports and Fitness Association. Um, that they, they kind of put the, the two together, and we kind of when we look at the numbers, we realize there is a great number of kids. 28% of kids right now that as of September 2021 that currently play youth sports. That's between the ages of six and twelve years old. 28% of those kids don't want to play, according to the parents. Uh, we went from 45% participation in youth sports when we were in 2008 to down to 28% the last year that we have information for. And it's dropped dramatically in that time. If you think about that, 45% to 28%. So barely one in four kids right now play youth sports between the ages of 6 and 12 years old. They talked to one guy who was an executive at Pepsi that lived in Frisco, Texas, a town about 28 miles outside of Dallas. During the pandemic, they decided they were spending a ton of money on their kids to go play travel sports and stuff like that. And then during the study they did at Frisco Tech and Frisco, Texas, and again, this is just one city that's a pretty okay suburb of Dallas, of, of a large metropolitan area in Dallas. That they were that families were spending on average ten percent of their household income on youth sports each month. Ten percent of their household income. So what the one family with the Pepsi executive, what they started doing was they went to the local YMCA and just signed their kids up for that. What they had back in my day was we had municipal sports where you you, know, you would have your area of the city or your city, if you depending on how the size of the town, you, know, you paid taxes, and that was something that was used with your tax dollars, that you would have football program, basketball program, baseball program. You'd go play all three. The little, the little city I was at in Georgia when my dad was a pastor down there, the guy who played running back on our team went to play for Georgia. The guy who played tackle went to play for Memphis. Like there was a lot of guys that played college football, and those are just the power conference guys that were on my little team in a town of about ten thousand people. So it's just—I mean, we talked to Fred White about this before. Fred lived in Griffin, Georgia, like not that far from where we were, and he, you know, that he played municipal sports growing up. Cam Newton played municipal sports growing up. 
Well, that doesn't exist anymore. So if your kid wants to play football now, I, I don't know what you do, especially baseball, soccer, hockey. Those are the three right now where it just costs a ton of money. So are we going to see this turn around? What's the cause for the drop in youth sports participation right now? And is there a way to turn this thing around? John's held patiently through the break, and we appreciate it. John, welcome in on the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I was a coach uh, daughters. I had a bunch of daughters, and we played softball, et cetera. And we had a really hard time with high school um, keeping that team even it was 400 kids in a graduating class, and we had enough, we had real trouble getting uh, enough kids to field the JV and a varsity team because I thought uh, one problem was when I was a kid, there was a youth sports bus to get you home at night. And now, you know, we have a lot of people, they can't, they can't uh, get their kid, you know, from school because of work, and then they can't give up the time for the jobs, and then... Then we had a problem with a lot of the kids, uh, you know, if they didn't weren't playing sports, they're home with no kids. So then what do you get? You get a problem with the kids, you know, acting out, being alone at home with no supervision. So I, I think it's a double-edged sword. Bad news. You know what? That's a great point because, you know, what we used to do, John, is I would get out of school and you take like either high school. It was right after it was right after that. But I would have to go take from middle school and elementary school, the ages we're talking about here. I would get on the bus. They would take you over to the uh, to the high school. You'd walk out to the little field where they and everybody practiced at this like group of good fields. And you'd walk right out to practice. You get done about five thirty or six. Mom and dad would come pick you up. You go to dinner. You know what I mean? Like you go you go home and eat dinner. And then you do do your yep. homework and rinse and repeat. So it's tough now when you talk about five o'clock practices and stuff like that. Four o'clock practices, especially if it's not at the school right there. What do you do as far as childcare is concerned when you talk about a six to twelve year old? Yep, it's a it's a big problem. It really is, and it's a, it's a shame. I mean, we it was a big part of our life, man. We couldn't wait to get even. We had so much fun on the after school bus getting home. You know, the guys that all played, so that made us more camaraderie too. Because you know, we we had a lot of fun on that bus on the way home. You know, and the the after school bus guy that was a little extra dough for him to get us home. You know, so it worked out good for all of us at that time. So I don't know. Times are different now. I don't know. I think maybe um, we have a lot of volunteer stuff. How about a volunteer van to get kids home at night? If that's a problem for the kids, you know, Yeah, that, know. there's that. And but I will say this, John, I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't trust a stranger with their kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that would also be some of those things. But if you look at it right now, like to have your kids involved in extracurricular activities, it's a lot. And to have them play in youth sports right now, the money is insane. When you talk about 10% of annual household income going to pay for youth sports, that is a ton of money that you could invest and make a lot of money off of. You can buy crypto if you wanted to and make your money. You, know, be like, you can do things like that. 10% of your household income. How many people right now have 10%? What, what percentage of your disposable income does that take up? It just takes up a ton. And then once it becomes that serious and once you get the $350 baseball bats and things like that and you get the sports industrial complex that exists that it does today, then everybody takes it a lot more seriously and it becomes less fun and the kids are having less fun doing it. Or they can just, as you mentioned a number of times, Logan, they can just go downstairs at the house, throw a headset on, go up to their bedroom, throw a headset on, and I can play Madden against my friends right now without having anything. I think that's the that's the main thing that I keep coming back to. And in fact, the article talks a lot about esports. Because I think that is the new youth sports. I mean, I mean, in that article, the YMCA has a league where, where they can go and you know compete against each other and win money in tournaments and everything. I mean, that's just—it's more financially viable. It's—it's it's a whole lot cheaper for the parents. 
You don't have to travel, do hotels, gas, car, you know, COVID stuff right now is very, very expensive. You know, gas definitely is. But, I mean, I just think kids find that more fun and more enjoyable because they can talk to their friends that live across the country or world or state or, heck, five minutes down the road in a second whenever they get into a party on a PlayStation or an Xbox and they don't have to go to a field or a court or whatever to talk to their friends because it's it's more social and you can get into games you know, quicker and faster. I just think that, you know, esports are a lot more attractive than new sports right now. Yeah, and, and which is wild and far less expensive. 656-9900 is your phone number. We'll come back in just a little bit. Starting lineup, it's 99.1, the sports animal. Starting lineup, Will West, Logan Ward here with you. I will be back next week. A whole lot of bowl coverage we're going to give you. My goodness, we've got Jimmy Hyams going. We've got uh, Vince Ferrara going. We've got Eric Kane going. We've got Chandler Emerson going to the bowl game. So you're going to get bowl week coverage coming up next week like you're not going to get anywhere else. We will have just wall-to-wall coverage of Tennessee bowl game coming up next week. Also, you could hear, of course, Tennessee, Arizona, right here on your flagship station for Tennessee Athletics, 99.1 The Sports Animal. All right, so I got a text message from our buddy Chris from Tony and Chris showed over at WIVK down the hall from us. Uh, over the weekend. And he asked me this question. He said, which of these is the more in mo- the most embarrassing uh, scandal for a head coach in college athletics? Hugh Freeze, Les Miles, Bobby Petrino, Urban Meyer, Ed Ogeron. And I'm like, God dang, that's a lot of, right? That's a, that's a, that's a massive list when we're talking about uh, the, the the coaches that have had some type of scandal like that that involve members of the opposite sex and things like that and other things that they have done. Now, we've seen even worse things with that with Penn State and some of the, you know, Art Bryles and all of those things. But we're just talking about these types of scandals. That's a massive list. So it made me think of this, Logan. One, let me, I'll, I'll pose that question to you that, Chris, that our buddy Chris posed to us. Who had the most embarrassing scandal? Hugh Freeze, Les Miles, Bobby Petrino, Urban Meyer, Ed Ogeron. The quick answer would be to probably say, you know, Urban Meyer, but he's just had more of them everywhere he has been. He has had stuff like this at Florida, Ohio State, Jacksonville, clearly just being fired. But I mean, I th- I think the clear, obvious answer is whenever you sit down and think of it, everything that happened at Ole Miss with him and Houston Nutt. And I, I mean, I think it's Hugh Freeze. And I don't quite think it's I mean, that's probably the answer that, that I go to the most. I think the most embarrassing was Petrino. At Arkansas, if you remember, he had a role in Arkansas, and you had the, the motorcycle wreck, the press conference with his face all the jacked famous up. Photo, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think Petrino was probably the most embarrassing. The one that was just the dumbest was the Hugh Freeze one. I, so that was pretty embarrassing because if you if you didn't know what happened there, Hugh Freeze, Ole Miss was was under you know was getting investigated by the NCAA for cheating, and they did it, and they got busted for it. But at the time, Hugh Freeze was telling everybody who would listen in the media, no, 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 this all happened under Houston Nuts' watch. None of this is on us. We're totally fine. Well, then Houston Nuts sued him. And then Houston Nuts' lawyers start in the discovery phase, start going through the, the phone records for Hugh Freeze. And uh, the day that Hugh Freeze is supposed to talk on media days with 1,200 media members in one ballroom, and he's going to have to speak for half an hour and answer questions. Hugh Freeze has to speak that day, and the story drops that he used his university cell phone to call an escort service. That's why I think it's probably the most embarrassing because he he knew he knew he was going to be asked about it. Contractually obligated, and whoever leaked that knew what they were doing. Oh, then to do it that day, absolutely, hundred percent, absolutely. I just cut off. I I was at media days that day, and so I'm sitting at Radio Row, and I get done doing morning sports on IVK and doing a, a, like an SEC media days update on IVK, and then with Phil. 
Uh, it may, may have been actually Hal at the time that was still doing that before they, no, it was Phil at the time. And so I do, I do that with Phil over at Newstalk. And so we do that update and then I get off the air and this guy from a St. Louis station walks over to me and says, you see this about Hugh Freeze? And I'm like, no. So then of course we pull up the phone and start looking at it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And he speaks at 9am local time. So you know what I did? I ran right upstairs. I got ready as quickly as I possibly could. And I came downstairs to get a good seat for the poop show when it happened. Because Hugh Freeze is going to have half an hour that contractually he is obligated to have to fill the day that story comes out. So what Hugh Freeze does is invoke the name of the Lord like a hundred times trying to get trying to convince the media not to ask him tough questions about it. It didn't work. Of course, he got asked about it, but you could tell he's done, right? Like at that moment, he is completely and totally done. And this is never going to get better. The problem with Petrino was that all these things kept coming out. And if you remember Jeff Long talking about it at the time when he was at Arkansas and you had the motorcycle wreck and the former volleyball player and all that stuff is that he kept lying about it to his boss. And so like, I mean, at the time, if you remember Jeff Long was like, look, we'll we'll work with you on anything. But when he kept lying to his boss about all the things that he'd done, then that's what eventually got him with Orgeron. If you didn't, if you don't remember what happened with that Orgeron, apparently he, according to the athletic, just kept bringing, he got a divorce from his wife. And whatever girl he was hooking up with, he'd bring her into practice and close practices and things like that. And behind the, you know what I mean? Like bring her into the locker room. It's and not just, a good look. No. And he got told and, and, you know, bring a drunk girl to a booster function and he got told to stop doing it and he kept doing it. He got told to stop doing it about four times and he just kept doing it. And you couple that with losing and all of a sudden that Ogeron's on his way out, right? The Les Miles thing is rough because the Les Miles thing is just really disappointing. Les Miles seemed like a really, really, really good guy. And for Les Miles to do some of the things that he did, that's that that is not that that to me is less embarrassing, but it's still just kind of gross. Overall, when you talk about lifetime achievement, I think that's Urban Meyer. It's not the one incident with Urban Meyer; it's the collection of incidents with Urban Meyer that have led to this, right? I mean, it's to everybody's been you know you know covering up all the Florida stuff with with Aaron Hernandez, Zach Smith at Ohio State. Then you get down to Jacksonville. Whenever you think, okay, maybe he has a good head on his shoulders, and I mean, Jacksonville played, the Jaguars played their best game of the season to this date against Cincinnati, almost won that thing in Ohio. He doesn't fly back with the team. He goes to some bar, what what I believe Columbus, and has some, you know, yeah, some young house. girl who's my age, like 23 years old, grinding all over him and yep. doesn't fly back with the team. And you're like, no one in that organization has any respect for him. It just keeps getting everywhere he goes. It's, it's just all these little tiny things that you're, you're just like, dude, what are you doing? It's always a problem. And if you remember the Ohio state situation, when everything happened with Zach Smith and there was the like, and we're sitting there and like ESPN's camped out and all the media networks are camped out at Ohio state. And they're waiting because you have this fight going on behind the scenes between the boosters who are saying no punishment whatsoever for urban Meyer. And they want the athletics director out the athletics director fighting to say, no, there's going to be something there. The president of university fighting, saying, no, we're not going to, we're not going to fire the athletics director because he wants to suspend urban Meyer for this. So they end up negotiating over the course of like eight hours. And then finally, had, it was almost like a new pope's getting elected. Like you get the white smoke and then you know that there's going to be a new pope that's that's been chosen. It was almost like that. And then they did, they did the press conference and they talked about everything that was going on with Urban Meyer and what the what the you know punishment was officially going to be. And from that moment, moment, you knew he was done. So here's the question though that I had when I saw that list that Chris texted to me. Have coaches always been this and we just now found out about it? Or are we just seeing coaches right now who have a lot less shame than they used to, and they're just willing to do a lot of really dumb things publicly, especially when you talk about members of the opposite sex? 
I think it's just social media in general because, I mean, you know, one thing that never lies, and that is cell phone footage and <laughs> pictures and videos, and that's what got Urban Meyer on numerous occasions, especially this whole girl bump in a bar situation. Cell phone footage never lies, but, you know, I— I think the rise of social media and just how we coach worship all of these coaches, because all those coaches were were very, very successful. I mean, I mean, Urban Meyer, national championship winning head coach, one of the best coaches in my lifetime, at least in college athletics. And then, you know, you mentioned Hugh Freeze had it rolling at Ole Miss, absolutely rolling. Petrino at Arkansas, same thing. Ed Orgeron, Les Miles, LSU, same thing. We coach worship all these guys. Then we kind of forget that they're human beings. They have, you know, they struggle with things just like me and you do, Will. Everyday type of stuff, it's just we're not public figures. So, so our little things that we get caught doing, they're not broadcasting out to millions and millions of people, and they don't become memes on social media. And I would also say you become, they're now bigger celebrities than they used to be. 100% because of pay. Yeah, and then they're going to get, they have a ton of more money. And there's the old saying, money's an amplifier. And so who you are, once you have a ton of money, you're just going to become an extreme version of that. If who you were when you broke, once you get some money. So I think between that and that you probably have far more temptations that are thrown at you, that probably leads to to those two things happening is that I, I think it's both. And I think it can be, but I think it's both. They are there. Can, like, can you imagine Lou Holtz back in the day doing something like this or even no. Jimmy Johnson or, you know what I mean? Like, and there are most, most coaches don't find themselves in this situation, right? Nick Saban. You'd be floored if you found that Nick, Nick Saban was in this situation. Like Lincoln Riley, you wouldn't think Lincoln Riley's going to do that. Josh Heupel, you'd be floored if you found out Josh Heupel. Lane Kiffin, not like so that. much. Lane Kiffin, you know what's going to happen with yeah, Lane exactly. Kiffin, right? And it's so expected. You just, you just expect it with Lane Kiffin at you this point. You would be point. concerned if it was not happening. Yeah, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. <laughs> so, but but this is kind of they have options. They're 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 famous now. Lane does at least keep his stuff on the low, right? So which is something that's that's the right decision. These other dudes don't have the self-control, and I think part of that is hubris. I think that because of coach worship and because of the amount of money that they have and because they can get away with doing anything else, I think they think they can get away with literally everything at times. So they they no longer have shame, and they think they're above the law because inside their little coaching world sometimes it can be very myopic. They are the law. So then if they are going to give in to their temptation, they do it in a way that's going to get them got. And and again, whatever people do behind closed doors is between them and their wife, as far as I'm concerned, right? Like somebody spouses cheating on each other. That's not my business is how I look at it. But when you do it out in public, it becomes everybody's business. And too many of these dudes are doing it way too publicly right now. And it's, and it's humiliating, but I think it's because they think that they're above the law or that they are themselves the law because they are within their college campus. That's Logan Ward. I'm Will West. We'll come back in just a second. If you've seen what Nick Saban's doing when it comes to COVID protocols for the to heading into the college football playoff semifinal game, it is wild. And let's compare that to what Penny Hardaway did with Memphis ahead of the Tennessee-Memphis game that got canceled on Saturday. We talk about it next. Starting lineup, 99.1, the sports animal. In the NFL last night, two games, the Raiders took down the Browns 16 to 14 off a 48 yard field goal from Daniel Carlson as time expired. Then the nightcap, the Vikings took down the Bears 17 to nine. Kirk Cousins threw two touchdowns in college basketball. A new AP poll release in men's basketball. Tennessee fell one spot down to number 19 after only playing one game last week. 
Top five looks like this. Baylor at one, Duke at number two, Purdue at number three, Gonzaga at four, and UCLA rounded out the top five. Last night, the Lady Vols took down ETSU 112-58. Sarah Puckett led all scorers with 19 points. Tamari Key added 16 points and 11 rebounds. The Tennessee Lottery is proud to raise more than $6 billion to support education programs in Tennessee. To learn more, visit TNLottery.com. It's 7.43. P. Michael's Traffic's up next. Have a good morning. I'm Logan Ward. Final segment hour number two of the starting lineup. Will West, Logan Ward here with you. We talked yesterday a lot about Penny Hardaway and about the lack of COVID protocols seemingly within the Memphis program. When you could have one kid that wakes up the day of a game on Saturday and you have to cancel a game one hour, six minutes before tip off because one kid woke up, didn't feel well. You did a COVID test, got the results back and he tests positive. And then another kid that his roommate also tests positive. And then by the time you do contact tracing, it knocks your whole team out and you can't play a game. I look at that as an administrative issue or overlooking the details that really matter when it comes to being a head coach. Penny Hardaway knows basketball, but it's more than just basketball. There's an administrative side to being a head coach that you have to have. And then we go to the GOAT. Yesterday, Nick Saban, speaking to the media, says, here is what he's doing for University of Alabama and what they have instituted this week ahead of the college football playoff semifinal game that's going to go down a week from Friday. And don't get me wrong, I think Saban's being extreme about this. But it's Saban, and you expect him to be extreme about every single thing that he does. Here's what Saban's done. They have all players, the entire team, everybody that walks into the football facility must wear a mask. They're social distancing during all meetings. 90% of the players are vaccinated and have received their booster shots as well on top of that. He's doing everything he can to make sure that (coughs) players don't get COVID ahead of this, and then he loses some of his star players with COVID kind of with Omicron starting to rage around the United States and hitting different areas and things like that. He also said the players leave today and they come back on the 26th. Uh, So he said they get get a little bit of time. They get to spend it on their families and they have to travel and be in Texas on December 26th to start practice there ahead of the college football playoff semifinal games. He also said they have given them a sent them home with quote, a care package with everything they need to stay safe. They've done meetings to educate players on the risks of the virus and what they need to be doing. Again, juxtapose that with what we saw from Penny Hardaway on Saturday, where one kid wakes up not feeling well. You did a video session with your entire team inside of one room at the Westin Hotel in Nashville, and it knocked your team out to the point where you could not play basketball or you didn't believe you could play basketball. There's a reason Nick Saban's the GOAT. It's because Nick Saban doesn't strike out with the bat sitting on his shoulder. He's at least going to swing. Do I think this is nuts? Yes. Do I think it's a little too much? Yes. But I understand his point of view. Would I rather be overly cautious and make sure I've got as many of my players on the field as possible? Yeah. So if somebody does get COVID, I got to make sure that literally there's nobody else that's going to get contact traced with them because the way that we're handling uh, social distancing, masks, vaccinations, booster shots, doing the biggest combination he possibly can to get all of that done. I got to be honest. Well, I don't agree. I respect it. I got to respect for the fact that Nick Saban's not leaving a bullet in that chamber. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's, I mean, it's, it's intense, but that's Nick Saban. You know, everything that he's does, you know, is very, very intense. And he (laughs) takes it to the next extreme and makes it, you know, has his fingerprints on top of everybody. Because, Will, you mentioned it. They are going home. You can't take that chance where you're going to be around people that 
might not be vaccinated, might not have the booster shot, might be at risk of getting this new variant with COVID-19 and, you know, significant things could happen. And, you know, that's a good way to get COVID. And then it, all it takes is one person. And if they are wearing a mask, you know, you might not spread it as well, but you might. But he's just taking the chance and says, you know, I'm not leaving it up to chance. I We are going to do every small thing we can to make sure we have a full roster to play. And, you know, you know, I would imagine that Harbaugh, Fickle, and Smart are doing it. And even if they're not, they're definitely going to be doing it now. Because, I mean, if you're down one key guy, that changes the course of, you know, if you could win a national championship or not. If, if Alabama, for, you know, God forbid, if they are down some really good players like Bryce Young or Jamison you're Williams. Down, you're already down Mechie. They're right? up a creek on offense, so you can't take the chance. I mean, yes, it is very, very intense, but I can't blame him. What What if you're out two offensive linemen because you didn't have social distancing in your offensive line meetings? You're done. You're finished. Yeah. You're going to lose to Cincinnati, and you're definitely not going to, if you do beat Cincinnati, definitely not going to beat the winner in Georgia, Michigan, if you don't have two of your offensive linemen there. And save it, save it. He's, he's the best. So if anybody can, can get his team prepared to play a game, even a couple players down, if you think it would be him. But this is, to me, what makes Nick Saban the best. And it's, again, what I keep coming back to yesterday. There's a lot of people that wanted to bring make it sound nefarious with Penny and things like that. Like, well, he's intentionally trying to duck the team and things like that. No, Penny just didn't handle his business. Penny just, just didn't take the precautions he needed, should have taken to make sure that he's like the rest of us, right? Things are not going to happen to me and not going to happen to my team and it happen to his team. Nick Saban's not going to take that chance. So is, is it convenient to have your kids have to be social distanced during meetings? No. Is it convenient to have to make everyone that walks into your football office wear a mask right now? No. No one wants to do it. No, but it doesn't. But if it means the difference and I've got my left tackle and I don't have my left tackle, if I've got Bryce Young and I don't have Bryce Young, world of difference. One thing in college athletics that, you know, that that is true and I have started to notice and COVID has shown this is your head coach of a program and an organization, yes, they have to be a good coach, clearly. If they weren't a good coach, they would not be coaching at, you know, Penny Hardaway case, I guess it's, it's kind of different because I don't think he's a, that good of a coach, but at a big-time organization like like Memphis basketball or Alabama football, Georgia football, Michigan football, whatever the case may be, your head coach has to be a CEO. He has to delegate to you know his coaching responsibilities all to his assistant coaches, and you have to be the guy that lays out these protocols and just says, okay, how do I get my team on the field and make sure everything runs smoothly on game day? And there's no one better than Belichick and Nick Saban about that. And yeah. Penny Hardaway, he's in over his head doing that just because he's like, hear no evil, see no evil. I'm not going to pay attention to all these little things because I think I'm a tactician. A, he's not. He's a really good recruiter. And in college basketball, that can work to a certain extent. But for Nick Saban is... He just oversees the whole entire issue, and there are no, you know, small issues like you see at all these other jobs around the country. Alabama doesn't have that because Saban is just so prepared and so focused, and he's that CEO type of guy that they've, they've taken care of the details. Exactly. Yeah, that's all it is, and that's the majority of college coaching, in my opinion. Yeah, and Ainge brought something up I thought yesterday it was a really good point. We brought about about Penny. He's like, when a guy's that good at what he does and just naturally that gifted. He probably doesn't has never had to pay attention to details in his entire yes. life, and he and you have to as a head coach, especially in college. You've absolutely got to managing eighteen, the twenty two year olds. Yeah. yeah, I think so. But you, you look at those three guys, right? You look at the guys from that coaching tree and go straight down. Parcells won everywhere he was. Belichick, he'd win anywhere you put him. Saban, he'll win anywhere you put him. And the reason why is because they pay attention to those details. Is this too much? Would I want this at our work right now? No, I would not. But 
I understand. And it may be the difference in Alabama having their players available and then not having their players available. The way that they handle it would mean guys don't have to get contact traced versus Penny Hardaway just thinking not going to happen to us. And their guys, guys end up having to quarantine. That's Logan Ward. I'm Will West. Do you want to play the game? 656-9900 is the phone number. You can get on board with us right now. We need two callers. 656-9900. We play the game next on the starting lineup. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennick. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. This was a dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. And if it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like it was. Hey, it was fine because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.